0: This is an ABC podcast. One, two, two. Yeah, my power's peeking a bit. I just drop that mic down. Mic you eat him. poo. <laughs> Are we ready?
1: You didn't get my joke. You said one, two, two, and I said you eat poo. Oh my
0: god!
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's so you've like, devolved, haven't I you? I <laughs> know. I'm seven. <laughs>
0: on. Hello, Zan. Hello, my fun way. How are you going?
1: Are you okay? All the better for seeing you. I know. Aren't we lucky we get to see each other? I mean, we could just do this anyway, but it's nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we we'll like to broadcast our catch-ups.
1: Can I just say before we start... um I've got a different recording situation here and there's a dog behind my head. So if you hear like loud scratching, whatever, she's chewing a toy behind my head, Vivian. And um, yeah, it's just, just a bit of background noise for you, let you know.
0: Special comments from Viv. Hey, very exciting news. Almost two years to the day since we last brought Bang On Live to the stage, an amazing show in Brisbane, we are so excited to tell you that Bang on is coming back to the stage Yee-hoo! and for the first time ever coming to South Australia. Oh my god, I can't believe we've actually got something in the calendar
1: to look forward to. <laughs> Can you believe I'm so this? I'm so excited too. I'm like I'm just not only to get to do Bang on live but to see Bang Fam in South Australia. Ah, oh, I can't wait.
0: We've never been able to do it before. This is going to be a special show as a part of the festival Grapes of Mirth, which yes happens at a winery. It's mm. going to be going down very in the on brand
1: and very on brand.
0: Literally, one <laughs> time for bang on. I am scared of what's going to happen, but also excited. And this is—it's a kind of festival for comedy and podcasts. So across two days at the Seppeltsfield Estate. We're going to be doing bang on from a vintage cellar. We're going to be surrounded by barrels of wine. Again, dangerous stuff. Um, but also people like Judith Lucy and Reese Nicholson and Zoe coombs Tom Tom Gleeson, Geraldine Hickey, they're all going to be there as well. So we are so excited. Cannot so, believe so, so it. excited. If you
1: can make it, if you're in South Australia, you're, you seem to be dealing pretty well with this COVID situation. So I'm assuming there won't be any lockdowns at that time. I've got my fingers crossed. Let's do this.
0: Yeah, let's reach for hope and see you there across the weekend of the 23rd and the 24th of October. We're going to be on the Sunday and we'll put all the details in the show notes as well for Bang On Live coming to South Australia. Oh, my God, so exciting. Uh. Hey, speaking of exciting news, Dolly update. Oh,
1: Dolly, the the most wonderful woman in the world, really. I mean, if she wasn't running the country, she should be. That's in America, of course, but she's welcome over here as well because Pretty much, a who bin. run the world? It's Dolly. A, it's a bin fire over here too. Um, is there anything Dolly can't do? Well, look, it seems not. Dolly Parton has now. Not only is she a great philanthropist, she is. uh she's her own charitable organisation. She writes songs. She comes up with the Moderna uh, money to front the research and development of that. She's now, which has now
0: been approved in Australia,
1: I so know. you can have the Dolly vaccine. I love so it. So exciting. I love it. Um, she's now written a book, which is amazing. Where does she get the time? She's and she's also like you know she's she's going on in years, and quite frankly, I can't be bothered doing anything now. And <laughs> and she's a mate. She's getting dressed up for Carl, wearing a Playboy, but like she's doing more at her age than I can do in two years. She's written a book. Um, she's written it alongside uh, that bloke who writes huge block sellers, James Patterson. Um, but this book is coming out next year, so it's done. This is what she's been yeah. doing in lockdown.
0: And this is a novel too. So she's written memoirs before, mm. plenty of them, but this is actually her first fictional novel. It's called Run, Rose, Run. It's about mm. a young woman who moves to Nashville to pursue her music-making dreams. Sounds familiar. And it's been, yeah, like you say, co-written with Dolly and James Patterson. And... Look, I know it's probably going to be like a Hallmark movie, but I will totally read this book. Oh,
1: I, and you know what? I hope it's a little bit like that telly show Sex Life with a bit of raunchy stuff in there as well. Country, <laughs> country raunch from, from Dolly Parton is an angle I never suspected we would get, but I reckon there'll be a bit of that as well. You know, country raunch. Because Dolly's got needs. We all have needs. <laughs> and if it's going to be Hallmark, I want it to be a little bit on the raunchy side as well. A bit Mills and Boone. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm so Go Dolly. <laughs> Go Dolly
0: You know that she released her new perfume finally Which she announced Sent from above I had a friend of mine who's a <laughs> mad Dolly fan And he was online <laughs> trying to buy it The day it was released And you couldn't get it because you could only get it in the States. So if oh. anybody's got any Centrum above hookups, I'm sure we'll see it at one of those giant chemists in sometime in the next few weeks. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but but centrum. Bang-
1: I want to smell like Dolly. I know. But can you, like, someone will have hookups. We'll be able to get this. The Bang Fam are good. They come through. They come through <laughs> with passwords for streaming services and they come through with... Dolly Parton perfume hookups. Okay. I love.
0: This. I could just. I just imagine just a little uh, bottle of scent from above parachuting over <laughs> my fence one day like, on where a did drone. This come from? The, the bank van just sent it. They came through. I love it. Love I it. Just imagine. Love it. Hey, Miff, take a listen to this. Mm. Now, if you have been obsessively watching White Lotus on Binge or Foxtel, uh, as it's screening here in Australia, you'll know exactly what that theme song is. The incredible score for this amazing HBO series, which stars Steve Zahn, Connie Britton, Jennifer Coolidge. Oh, my God. Everybody's talking about White Lotus. And we're coming up to the final episode on Monday. Is that the final on Monday? Six episodes. It's not enough. <gasps> I thought it was more. <laughs> You're not ready,
1: are you? I'm not ready to leave these absolutely hateful people <laughs> holidaying, on a, holidaying on a tropical island, which is on my dream. On Hawaii. Dreams. Oh, Hawaii. Um, oh, my God, I'm not ready. I'm just not ready. They're awful people, but I can't get enough.
0: You know that I found out recently that this series was just greenlit in October last year. They filmed it in December and they've turned it around for now. That is the quick turn turnaround time for this Mike White written and directed series. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. Aren't people productive? Also, if you're all filming in covid I'm assuming that lots of people are available because they're not doing other projects. That's Very good like, point. And imagine Connie got, Britton, Jennifer yes. Coolidge. Are you ready? Let's go to Hawaii. Imagine yes, getting please. that call.
1: Do you want to do this? Look, it's it's a bit. It's been a bit rushed. We're not sure. You know how it'll be. It's um. It's about really horrific people that you you don't even like, but you want to watch. And um. By the way, you're flying to Hawaii next week. As in the middle of COVID, as if you wouldn't say yes, please. Yes, please. sign me up.
0: So I'm ready. I'm hoping, that, I'm hoping they're. I'm
1: hoping they're going to call me, maybe because yeah. it might be <laughs> well, the only chance. Okay, so I've got some good news for here. you,
0: Miff. Maybe they will. Yeah. <gasps> maybe they will because it's been commissioned for a second series. News has come through this week. It will be coming back for a second series, a different cast, following a different group of vacationers to another White Lotus property. Oh, uh, Evan. We'll, I guess. <laughs> hear about that in the future, but that's not the only reason I wanted to talk about White Lotus because we banged on about this in the first couple of weeks of it starting. I was so excited about this, having just seen the trailer and the promise of it was realised very early on. But I also saw this week a fantastic article um, written by Shard D'Souza for Vulture Mm. with the musician who composed that theme, uh, Cristobal Tapia de Vier. Now, that theme song and the whole score of the series, I reckon just it completely changes the tone of, of what White yeah. Lotus is. It could be a very different feel. Um, I think it's really part of the show. And this interview that with uh, Cristobal was just so interesting because he kind of talked about making it chaotic and raw and, you know, there's this sense of something building, something dark is about to happen. But also with all the kind of animal sounds and also almost the tribal sounds, you feel like you're watching animals in a zoo and that's Mm. the whole thing. Like you say, you're watching these people who are are quite horrible and you don't have sympathy for them because you're just this observer to these horrible people watching them in this amazing social satire, be awful, fill all these caricatures and cliches around rich white personas Mm. and you're an observer to all of that. You don't have any sympathy to what they're going through and the music has a huge part of that. Think about the way that music – affects the way that we emote and if there was a different tone going through this series how how possibly differently we'd be connecting or not connecting with the characters mm. but it just kind of makes you feel anxious it's almost like there's going to be some sort of sacrifice well, that's, and that, we know if-
1: that was something that was said in the article so I hadn't thought about that but there's there's that feels like what's going to happen because we haven't seen the last episode yet
0: And it was forecast in the first episode. No spoilers here. Literally in the opening Mm. scene. Well, there was a death. There was a a death. I didn't. I I hadn't
1: actually even thought about the idea of sacrifice. That you know, someone's got to go at the end, and it's a beautiful way of putting
0: it. I think. Do you have any ideas about who's going to be the person who dies? Do you want to share them? Mm.
1: Um. I don't have any ideas. It could be any of them. It could, but, mm. I, I, but given the nature of the show, I feel like it will be, which is essentially that these people are awful. It won't be one of the awful people, you know, like that. The basis of the show is that these rich white people are just awful and they have rich white people problems. And the people who get totally kind of, I, I, want, I don't want to, I, the people who get totally fucked over are anyone who's local any people of colour, anyone who is of lower socioeconomic um, backgrounds. So it's kind of, in a way, when I say it like that, I'm like, why am I watching this show? It sounds horrible. Um, we're essentially just watching ourselves, <laughs> you know, or, or the people, you know, our, our privileged existence being played out. So I feel like it won't be one of the rich, horrible people, but it should be. Not that anyone should die ever, but it should be.
0: I, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be Paula. I've just got a feeling it's going to be Paula. Oh, she's no. The on, she's the only Paula runs. person of colour who's one of the guests. I just think that she's going to be the sacrifice. No. And all the rich white people will go on.
1: Yeah, I know. And, look, that's an interesting thing about the music too. The music wasn't created by Hawaiians, it plays on Hawaiian themes and mm. and in a way I thought this is a really lost opportunity for the show to highlight, you know, local musicians and local musical styles but in a way it, it kind of fits the whole narrative of the program, you know. There's there's sounds of that sort of traditional South Pacific idea um, within the composition and, but It's not, it's been composed and played by people in America as far as I know or Mm -hmm. Canada, I'm not sure, Um, and performed by a quartet uh, or, or a bunch of musos in America. So in a way it's like the music is replicating what the show is doing. It's just, it's white people coming on and showing their dominance over a landscape, both physical and artistic and it's, uh, oh, it's, 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 ugh, there's so many levels to it. Uh, it's confusing and kind of extraordinary at the same time. It's pumping. There's going to
0: be think pieces about this off the back of this final episode. Yeah. There's probably going to be theses written about this series. Uh, I need to write one. I'm already writing one <laughs> in my head. <laughs>
1: But the music is is amazing and it does lift from uh, there are cultural references as well South Pacific references um, traditional Hawaiian music that it does lift from which makes it beautiful but it's also with such an edge that it's it's broken almost mm. it's it's mm. it's uncomfortable and that's and Hawaiian music is the opposite of that yeah it, which says so much about the show itself about white people in not white people but rich colonisers are coming to Hawaii and taking over the land you know and musically that's sort of the same thing is happening um, to very disturbing and quite uncomfortable ends which is what's happening in the music too so yeah it's really interesting <laughs>
0: Another thing that's going to be hitting screens, I'm assuming sometime soon, um, if you can get to a cinema in Australia, you might have seen Matt Damon talking a bit about this. A new dramatic thriller called Stillwater, which follows an American oil rig roughneck from Oklahoma who travels to Marseille to visit his estranged daughter in prison for a murder she claims she did not commit He builds a new life for himself in France as he makes it his personal mission to exonerate his daughter. Now, if this story sounds familiar, that's because it has been loosely based on the story of Amanda Knox. And you forwarded me a fantastic article in The Atlantic written by Amanda herself Mm. titled... Who owns Amanda Knox? Fourteen years ago, I was wrongfully convicted of murdering my roommate. Ever since, the world has believed it can tell me who I really am. Oh, this, this is, is such a great piece, and and, and it's damning as well. Exactly, it is damning. It is damning of uh,
1: the narratives that we are fed by uh, patriarchal media. Um, that it's damning of so many things, of, of, of how we treat public people, of how we treat women, it's extraordinary. And what I thought was really interesting was I didn't come across this by looking for articles, it came out as a tweet thread. Uh, it was only quite recent and so you can read this as a thread on Twitter and, and this was shared uh, probably last week. But then you can also see, see the article and I think that's a really interesting way to get something out. As well, like that's totally mm. changing. You know, you, uh, If people aren't going to go to the Atlantic and check out Amanda Knox article, people were sharing the thread on Twitter and it was, that's how I saw it. And it's powerful. She says things like, do, the, it, she opens with this, does my name belong to me? Does my face, what about my life? My story, why is my name used to refer to events I had no hand in? I return to these questions again and again because others continue to profit off my identity and my trauma without my consent. She talks about the film Stillwater and um, she says that the words used to promote it are, I just got a delivery. (laughs) Um, Directly inspired by the Amanda Knox saga, And she says, how did we get here? But she talks about the language used, even the words, the Amanda Knox saga. um, What does this term refer to? Does it refer to anything she did? No, it refers to the events that resulted from the murder of Meredith Kircher by uh, a, a a fella called Rudy Gwade, I think is how you say his name. Um, And she then says it refers to the shoddy police work, the flawed forensics and the confirmation bias and tunnel vision of the Italian authorities whose refusal to admit their mistakes led them to wrongfully commit me twice. In those four years of wrongful imprisonment and eight years of trial, I had near zero agency. And they're calling it a saga, which just minimises the entire thing, um, and I hadn't even thought about it like that. The language around this stuff is so important.
0: Also that her name is the only name in these headlines. Yeah. When she was acquitted, she has nothing to do with the crime. She was convicted and then acquitted. It was found that she was not the person responsible, and yet consistently her name is the only name in the headlines, sometimes the victim's name, even more rarely the actual perpetrator's name, but it's always Amanda Knox and I found this really interesting the way that she was because we've talked before about the power of, of language and, the, as you say here, the power of, of reframing. Mm. You know, it's the the whole story around this and cast your mind back to it because as soon as we're talking about this, you're probably thinking, oh, my God, that's right, that, that happened. It was around 2007 to 2015 and it wasn't just the prosecution and what has been since understood as very shoddy police work you know, an Italian police force who came up with a theory and then used the evidence to fit that theory as opposed to the other way around. But also the media, you know, remember the media was talking about her as this sort of psychotic man-eater, as she says, the dirty ice queen, foxy noxy. There was so much sex Mm. and darkness in this story and none of it was true or none of it related to the crime that they were trying to mm. prosecute. And yet this is the stuff that that lingers, that in the court of a public opinion, even if she's not a killer, she's still a slut or a nutcase or a tabloid celebrity. She's someone who's still, quote, sticking around after her 15 minutes of fame when she never asked for this. No. And as she speaks about in the article, she talks about how she could have tried to disappear dye her hair, assume another identity, but instead she decided to take her identity back and she writes a lot, she does a podcast. And I just think, first of all, what incredible strength you have to to do that and to face up to a world that is very pitted against you and, as you say, Miff, a very patriarchal view of a crime and a coverage of an alleged perpetrator that ends up being acquitted. But... It also speaks to again to us, which we've been talking about recently. What does it say about us that we all lapped this up mm. in some ways or another, and we consume her life as though it's content? Yeah, Not, like the, what she went through was insane. And you know what? I'm guilty of that too. There was there's been so many telemovies movies and series and stuff based on the Amanda Knox story. Again, the Amanda Knox story. There was a book a few years and ago And it's not about the victim either. The victim's name never gets disappears. spoken. Disappears. It's just exactly. like she
1: disappears and, and Amanda has no control over that either and she wants that fixed. Sorry, you continue.
0: Well, there, I was just going to say that there was a book that I read a few years ago called Cartwheel which was by an author called Jennifer Dubois and that was, again, the story of, you know, a, a girl that was convicted of- Murdering her roommate. It was happening in Buenos Aires, in Argentina. It was all the same elements of the story. It Mm. was all just kind of like the Amanda Knox story, but not. And of course, you can do that if you fictionalize it and you don't have to worry about any legal repercussions because it's not really the story, but it is the story, just like Stillwater kind of is that story. I just can't imagine how, as she says, like. Who gets to tell me who I really am over and over and over again? And I think that it's of great credit to her in the final Mm. lines of this story that she talks about people profiting from her story. She talks about Tom McCarthy, the Academy Award winning director who's made this film and Matt Damon, who stars as the father in this film and she says that they're profiting. Did they think about it? Maybe not, but they probably have no in- ill intent. She just sort of speaks about it as this we're all part of this machine. Let's just take a step back oh. and just remember what's happening here. So I think that that was a, a that final line is shows so much grace on her behalf, but also such an understanding oh. of how the media twists and distorts the way that we view things exactly. and that this is still an Amanda Knox story when she has been acquitted completely of this crime that yeah. she never committed.
1: Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head then that this machine, this media machine is broken and I put this in the same context as how we view and how we consume the media of figures like Amy Winehouse and mm. also Monica Lewinsky who gets mentioned in this um, and how we all need to look back at how we we behaved during this, which you mentioned as well. You know, we we lapped it up Mm. before we knew and we're only finding out now how incredibly biased and how incredibly salacious all of this was and uh, all of this was made to be and how media organisations made a lot of money out of that and it's in their interest to portray a woman like that Um, and and we're part of the problem as well.
0: But we've been told these stories, haven't we? So we accept that. We're like, oh, yeah, she was promiscuous and that's bad and that led to this. It's like all of our our own internalised misogyny and what the stories we've been told as kids, as little girls, Mm that was just triggered by all of this. Yep. I mean, it's just, it's a minefield, isn't it? It is. This stuff takes, takes generations to iron out and I'm so glad that she called it out so articulately yeah. in, in this piece. Yeah, it's, it's
1: really interesting and, and I think it's quite brilliant as well. And I hope that if people read it, it will reframe how they think about a lot of public figures, but especially women, and how their stories have been told.
0: Hey, Meef, did you do your census this week? I did. I've got thoughts. Um, Did you do yours? Yeah, but okay, I can say this because I know that you were allowed to have a little wiggle room. I forgot on Tuesday night, even though I'm a nerd and I was looking forward to census night. Yeah, you love census. But I do love the census. What's wrong with that? We've been around so long we've already (laughs) talked about the census
1: on this podcast, remember?
0: i think we did but it was five years ago i oh know that's God. how long we've been around oh shit what is time well this this is perfectly the the reason why i missed census night because i just didn't know what day it was i Yesterday I said it was 2020. I don't know what year it is or what month or day. So I did it on Wednesday night instead of Tuesday night. Mm. You know what? Just in case you
1: might not be home or someone else might be in your house. (laughs) Whoa.
0: (laughs) I was in the exact same position as I have been for most of the last year and a half. I was at home with my partner and my cat. There were no questions about my cat on the census. But more specifically, there were a few missing questions. If you didn't happen to be uh, a straight person who is any number of Christian uh, faiths, Ooh. and maybe you had or hadn't served in the military. Th- weird questions or lack of questions in this year's, oh. or sorry, this five-yearly census, Yep, wasn't it? L- absolute
1: lack of questions. I mean, once I'd filled out um, that I hadn't worked this week, and that's the thing, I did actually work because I did bang on, and I'm writing a book so I just sort of went, I'll just put in I haven't really, you know, like it's not a job I go to. Um, and I don't think of bang on as work. Once I'd because <laughs> it's fun. And once I once I just said don't work, no and I said, How many babies have you had? That was a really full on question. Um once I'd filled out that I didn't hadn't worked that week and I'd had no babies, that was it. It was over.
0: <laughs> so You don't matter. Nothing to contribute. <laughs> and
1: that's the thing. I am and I felt erased and I'm a cis hair. Female, um, you know, I am basic as. So I can absolutely appreciate that um, there's a whole portion of the community that felt completely erased by this weird census. And, yes, no, I don't. Well, there was
0: no questions about your gender or sexual orientation, not one there was only questions if you were married or not married, yep. nothing for single or de facto. It was so old-fashioned. It was just the, the, boring. I was reading some articles about, you know, people's criticisms of this and the people that, you know, the ABS who who form the census, and, and, and I think that they do it in consultation with the government, but they also do, you know, research in the community about what sorts of questions they should be asking, and that they said that, it was not a priority for this census to include questions about gender and sexual orientation that they wanted to have more detail on health as in your personal health and also military service which was again another sort of i thought a strange question for Surely they... maybe i'm maybe i'm underestimating how many people serve in the adf and of course there's v- veterans affairs and support for that that's totally valid but what but wouldn't they have those numbers about...
1: wouldn't they already have those numbers about who's doing what
0: Yes, and that is a decent question, d- decent statement to make because if you're serving in the ADF, I'm sure there's some sort of um, <laughs> paperwork around that if you're actually a member of the Defence Force. But when you're doing a, a once-in-every-five-year survey that's already fairly detailed, why can't you add two to three more questions asking about sexual and gender orientation? I just don't oh. understand. Like, and, and I think that one of the responses from the ABS was that they said these questions that people had complained were missing would make their way into future mental health surveys. And when I read that, I was just like, hang on a minute, you're just ghettoising sexual and gender orientation into a mental health issue when this is an opportunity to have one of the biggest captures of the complexity of the Australian public. Here's your shot yeah. and you've just ignored it. Especially,
1: it's just wild. It's wild, especially after the the yes vote coming through. Um in the last couple of years, but also we're in COVID. This is an extraordinary moment in our history, a once in a hundred year moment. Why were we not asked? You know, uh, why were we asked, do you travel to work? It's like no one's going to work. We're all stuck at home. You know, there could have been questions about that. If they really want an insight into what is Australia now, then there should have been uh, some questions around that too. could have revealed a whole lot more about who we are and, and and how we're coping and all of that. It's it's just weird. It's weird that it was such a missed opportunity.
0: It has real-world effects too. The census feeds in where funding goes. Absolutely. People, you know, where need is felt and, and where those needs are met with, you know, resources of all kinds. So... Ah, a strange one, very strange census, very strange. Um, no questions for Norman. No, and not look. No
1: one, no <laughs> one cares about my codependent relationship with my dog and two cats, <laughs> or how much of a you know. And no one cares about you know not having a traditional job like that. Really, kind of made me feel a bit sad, you know. And and not all women are having babies. And the way it used your name. Mafunwe how many babies has Mafunwe had in the third person was freaking mm. creepy.
0: Like mm. I was like it
1: felt like I don't know somebody it was, felt invasive in that sense so I I just simply can't imagine how people who felt completely erased would have felt. Um it was sh- it was a shit census. Sorry I'm saying it now. It was a census. Oh yes. <laughs> Last week we had the shacket. This week we have the Oh, The shacket's had many an outing because it's the only thing I wear when I'm out. (laughs) Oh my God. Speaking of fashion. (gasps) Oh, Beyonce, what a week to give us some pictures to look at and discussions. (laughs) And fashion and things to think about and all of it. Huppers Bazaar did an amazing photo shoot for her new fashion line. And I've got to say, uh, I am feeling uh, country sport luxe was my first feeling with the (laughs) denim fashion sportwear. Oh my God. Denim chaps. Denim chaps as well. Ivy Park. I mean, this is Adidas, but like, so it's got the, uh, it's got the sport. Uh, it's got sport behind it to its to its core but it's <laughs> it's it's denim
0: what's it got it's got sport
1: <laughs> it's got sport behind in its in its heart and soul but it's also denim fashion um which is amazing and chaps assless chaps yeah. so yeah. it's got it's ticked all the boxes for me really some of that some of that collab um but there's also other items of clothing that i just Look, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure what they are, but I'm here for it. Um, there's one that you sent me that I hadn't paid much attention to when it came through in the fashion spread, but it is the cloak um, that, open, that opens up to look like an amazing cloak with feathers and it's just zipped down the front. Underneath she's wearing the denim sport fashion, Um but when zipped up <laughs> looks like it's either – Body bag chic or seed pod chic? I'm not entirely sure what. <laughs> it's awesome. I, I, I yeah, I hadn't even thought about that until you you sent me that picture. Um, it
0: reminded me, remember that? Like, did you ever watch Borat 2, the the second Borat? You know, there's the scene where his daughter is trying to find a nice dress and she puts on the garment bag instead oh, yes. of the actual dress. <laughs> it's Beyonce's in a garment bag where someone's like hot glue gunned some feathers around the side to give it a bit of zhuzh. So That's good. what it looked like to and me. And you know
1: what? I will be wearing this for Bang On Live or a version of, perhaps a homemade version of this. I cannot wait to glue guns and feathers onto. It looks like a shacket as well. It's got elements of shacket. Could be a shirt, could be a jacket, could be a cloak, a clacket. It's a clacket. Oh, no. Oh, my God, and it's clackerish too.
0: (laughs) Far out. I'm wearing it. it. I'm wearing it. The feathers do look very skin-toned, don't they? It's my clacket. I'm wearing my clacket. Did you (laughs) see? Did you see the throwback to her Dangerously in Love album cover with the jewelled top, the Balmain top, which was just kind of like a jewelled, you know, with the naked underneath? That's totally a pointer to her Dangerously in Love 2003 record. Oh,
1: absolutely. And, you know, this also brought up a really great quote that I read, Um, a whole lot of inspiration for the Single Ladies video in black and white and um And much of her aesthetic of that time, which was all this black and white imagery, was triggered at the time um, because she was told by a group who were doing, you know, the surveys of the algorithms and all of that and the people and what people like and and whatever on Instagram um, said that the research, that's what she called it, the research discovered that my fans did not like when my photography was in black and white and the images wouldn't sell if they were in black and white and she She's like, don't underestimate my fans and don't underestimate me. So she spent years doing black and white stuff. Now that is, what, what do they call it? It's like a slow burn reaction to something mm. just and sticking the middle finger up the entire time. Single Ladies is in black and white, that whole aesthetic for that time because the research said that black and white doesn't work. So she went, oh, no, eff ya, stuff ya. And I love that. <laughs> A leader, that. not a follower. Totally, but also not underestimating the people around her, which I think a lot of clickbait culture does really respond to. It's And uh, we've seen mm. the demise of our, our, our print journalism and, and journalism in general because the research says that people don't click on that stuff. And so she just said, no, nah, I don't believe that and I believe better mm. of my fans. And look what she did, Single Ladies, one of the greatest yep. and biggest songs of all time and did it in black and
0: white. And you know the dance. I do. (laughs) (laughs) You know it too. Everyone knows it. Look, there's some incredible images. Uh, Obviously, us describing them is not enough. But looking at them is better, and we're going to put it in the show notes. (laughs) And I'm going to wear a clacket
1: to our gig in the Barossa Valley. I might even make one for you too. I don't know. I'll get out the banana. Or well, the Genomi? Not that I even have one, but look, that'll give me something to do over the next couple of weeks. Um,
0: I love this. I love it's been this. It while for us. since you are threatened to get the Genomi out. I'm here for
1: and it. And the glue gun. It's, it'll all. Be, it'll be all about the glue gun. Oh my god! I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. What are you banging on about this week? Oh god, where are we there already? Wow. Um, what am I banging on about? Uh, I've had a book. I've got a book recommendation this week. Um, I simply wanted to get out of my own brain. And out of my own world, I'm I'm struggling a bit with Telly, and I'm up to the last two episodes of Hacks, and I just I don't want it to end, so I'm sort of putting it off. But I'm also finding it hard to watch anything right now. I don't know why. Mm. Um, but uh, so I thought I'd 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 read a book, Open Water. It's called. It's by a British uh, writer, Caleb Azuma Nelson, and it's uh, it's just beautiful. It's really short too. If you've haven't got much attention span like me at the moment. Um it's about a love affair between a a young photographer and a dancer and it's it's intertwined with really great things like um music and art and it's beautifully written. Like his 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 words are just I don't know, it's just yeah, it was just a really beautifully written work. Um but it's also a celebration of, of black exuberance and artistry. Um and also um, the difficulties and the trauma that, that comes with racism and um, in inequality uh, and, and those things. So, yeah, it was just a – I'm not saying it was a nice read because there's some difficult stuff in there um, but, you know, I think sometimes when things are too big, which they feel like right now, um, it's nice to see through another's eyes. Um, mm. it, that helps, I think. And these are these these are wonderfully written words, and um, it's it's really it's a it's a beautiful book, beautiful and difficult and sad and lots of things. So yeah, open water is what it's called. Um, what are you banging on about, Zan?
0: I'm banging on about a film. I've actually been watching a few movies because one of the other. Sad and shitty things that happened this week was that the Melbourne International Film oh, Festival know. has had to cancel all of its in cinema screenings, and we know why we're you know in lockdown in Melbourne, and I think everyone saw it coming but it's yeah it's I'm bummed about it because it's um I love the film festival and I love seeing awesome and strange films that you wouldn't necessarily see Mm. at the multiplex with a room full of people and experiencing that with people and hearing their gasps and their laughs and their cheers. So, um, yeah, it's really tough. But one of the good things about MIF this year, the festival, not you. And also (laughs) I'm missing
1: that too because when you're out and about in the streets, everyone's saying my name. It's the best part of the year. It's like, what, who, what, what? (laughs) <laughs> it's your festival it's your time to shine everyone's saying how great it of these... is miff's great and i'm like yeah i know yeah thanks it's you yeah no it's not really but i love it
0: a bunch of these films are available online they're, they're streaming like they were last year you know i experienced the festival in lockdown last year as well and streamed a whole bunch of these films and so it feels like it's an event in your lounge room it's not just scrolling through streaming services it's like i've gone to pick a film i want to watch this we settle in um, there's even little ads like they have at the cinema oh. f- during film festival, so you kind of feel like you're there. I, I never thought I'd that. be so excited to see festival ads, but yeah. there we have it. <laughs> um, and the film that I watched in this last week was a film on the front woman of X Ray Specs, the late great Polystyrene. It's a doco that's actually been co-directed by her own daughter, oh, Celeste wow. Bell.
1: Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard, but I think.
0: My mother was a punk
1: rock icon. People often ask me if she was a good mum. It's hard to know what to say.
0: One, two, three, four. It's incredibly personal and beautifully done and she basically found all these old diaries of Polly Styrene and learned the story of her mother from before she was born. So Polly had... Celeste, her daughter, when she was quite young, and when she was still a musician, Celeste was, you know, hanging around with her. She was part of her life. But of course, you know, Polystyrene. if you don't know much about her, and I didn't know a whole lot about her, she was the first woman of colour to front a successful rock band. She was the front woman of a punk band in a scene that is supposedly inclusive but in the late 70s in the UK, pretty white, pretty male, um, and and pretty misogynistic in many cases, and, and, and quite racist as well in, you know, the, the music industry in, in general. And this is the story of, of Polystyrene, of how she spent three years in X-ray Specs, but then had this whole other life outside of that, and it's sad and wonderful and Mm. celebratory. She was misdiagnosed with schizophrenia when she actually had bipolar disorder. She went and lived with Hari Krishnas for some time and Celeste lived with her and that was really difficult. Yep. And she made wild kind of albums before she came back in her sort of later years, in her late 40s, and performed again for the first time. And then she sadly got breast cancer and died at the age of 53. So this mm. story of polystyrene is so much more textured than the few songs and album and couple of years she spent in X-Ray Specs and it's really beautifully done in this film. So if you're keen, you don't need to be a mad fan of X-Ray Specs. It's just such an interesting story and I think that the story of women and particularly of women in culture in music is yep. just such a blind spot. Yep. In a music documentary. But in, in, in memoir, our even in our our understanding
1: of things, you know?
0: Totally. So having having those blind spots finally filled and done in such a beautiful way, I'm here for it. It's a great film. It's called Polystyrene, I am a cliche, and yeah, it's screening is a part of myth. Film festival right now um, for the rest of August. So mm. I'll put I'll put a link in the show notes. I really loved it. Beautiful, beautiful, unreal. You got you got to have
1: an event to look forward to. I don't know. You? I've actually just... I've actually downloaded that film from from Miff. So I'm looking forward to seeing. Oh
0: great! It. I'll do oh, a, oh you'll love it. I'll do a you'll little
1: viewing. It. Do a little, and it's also like the Slits as well was another band that um, that didn't get much attention at the time and were rather extraordinary. And um, I'd love to recommend. Um, a couple of books by Viv Albertine, who is in The Slits. Um, her two books are phenomenal, So, and that also gives you another insight into another of those groups who were doing their thing at that time and, and how, how quite revolutionary they were, but she's also a great writer, so I recommend that. That's another sort of – what do you call that, a side bang? So, a baby bang. Baby bang. bang. That sounded wrong, no. didn't it, baby bang? No, very just wrong. a um, background bang? Um, no, extra bang. <laughs> What? It's getting worse. <laughs> Extra bad. I don't know. I don't know. It's time to go. <laughs> time to go. Time to look, the dog's gone to sleep finally. She loves this. <laughs> See you next week. See you next week. Can't wait. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
0: Hang on.